Hello, and welcome back to episode 7 of Inherited Will, a One Piece podcast. My name is Thomas. And I'm Jordan. And we are a weekly One Piece podcast discussing that week's manga chapter, any news of the week, and a reread of past chapters. This week we'll be covering manga chapter 1004 and rereading manga chapters 69 through 81. Anything you'd like to say, Jordan, before we begin the manga discussion? No, I think we are going to jump right into the manga with the cover page of just some good lads eating some good treats. I'm a little scared for Chopper, but otherwise it looks delightful. Yeah, I have to assume for the health and safety of the people involved here that the Rumble Ball candy does not uh, have the same effect of the actual Rumble Ball. Otherwise, I think a lot of them are probably as good as dead. Maybe they're not actually eating them. I suppose they could not be. They do have a lot in their cheeks. Yeah. No one spooked them or they might swallow. That's <laughs> no good. Moving on to the actual chapter. Chapter 1004, entitled Millet Dumplings. Here we go. On page one here, we have your girl and mine, Speed, the horse smile fruit user, handed out uh, what she claims are recovery-boosting and power-enhancing little millet dumplings. She says that Queen made them, but you and I and the rest of the world know that that is a dirty lie. Yeah, and she's got such a trustworthy face. I see why they all were so excited. Are you referring to her normal face or her having-a-good-time horse face? I want you to take a guess. Uh, I'd rather not. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Let's see here. I think we've seen this gorilla-fisted man, but he in particular is very hyped up about uh, recovering quickly. And uh, even the gifters, the not-so-buff, I guess, smile users, the tier below them, they also get a taste. So they're pretty hyped up about that as well. It's the perfect ruse. Indeed. On the following page, we get a little bit of a taste of how Otama came to be in the battlefield in the first place. Apparently, after she got booted away from the proper crew, she went and complained to uh, Speed here. He said, no problem. I've got you. I've got a boat. Let's go right now. And on the way, she took the time to pull out a whole bunch of dumplings out of her face so that they can... uh, turn the tide of battle in their favor she's obviously exhausted but she has put her all into this and well i mean it pays off immediately it does now i don't think the like specific breakdown of like how many of kaido's roughly thirty thousand people are smile users but i would say most at least a reasonable chunk of those right do you think she pulled out enough dumplings to really turn the tide of battle if that is the case we see on these pages here that she's got at least several bags worth that's a pretty sizable pile there in front of her at the bottom of the page but like several thousand i don't think that she got close to being able to turn all of them or even enough to turn the majority mm-hmm. but enough to change the tides in certain places which can work to great effect. We see the start of it in this chapter. Uh, That's true. You think that they're just going to turn the tide in terms of their numbers in strategic spots to hopefully aid the overall flow of the battle. Yeah, I think it's what makes sense. You keep building a force little by little until 
you can kind of just roll. Here's hoping that works out for him. Now, before we go on to the next page here, I wanted to talk to you in brief about what you feel the ethical complications of Otama's power here actually is. Because it's like, I know it seems to be intended just for animals, but even so, this is basically just mind control, right? It is. It doesn't feel great. It doesn't seem 100% right. But at the same time, these are like bad people originally. So like, should we really feel bad for them? They're bad people being mind controlled into being good. That's something. <laughs> That's still... I Okay, so we don't know what it's like for them. We do always see them, frankly, pretty happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not apparent that they are in pain or struggling in any way. That could just be part of the side effects, you know? Indeed. I think this one panel flashback from Speed here is the only, like a little bit of insight into what they've been thinking throughout all this. And it's just, she's remembering some events that happened and that's all we get. Yeah. Yeah. All I'm saying is, uh, this is a little bit concerning, but, uh, we're just going to move on with the story and pretend as though it is totally fine. But we're, we got our eyes on you, Tama. Don't abuse this. We'll see if she can hold the bat. Yeah. Hopefully. On the following page here, we find out that she, before arriving, had three specific smile users already. Speed, of course, we already knew. Gazelle Man, and I believe this uh, scorpion man's name is Daifugo, one of the wardens from Udon. Yeah, she made some good choices. Two extremely fast people seems to be working out for her quite well. And Daifugo can walk on the wall, so... <laughs> like they've got mobility down yeah no one say that he's not a useful guy and he's also a headliner i think speed is as well so in terms of power they're like among the higher end of kaido's crew as well mm-hmm. so all the underlings are already going to trust them and their task suddenly becomes pretty trivial indeed as we see on the following page here giselle man's just literally going around shoving things in people's faces as is daifugo Avoiding people's attacks and grabbing people, shoving Dondro into their smug, greedy faces. And having a good time while doing it. <laughs> right. Always smiling. What a good guy, then, Taifugo. Let's just forget about all the terrible things he's done in the past. He would like you to. <laughs> <laughs> On the following page here, as predicted, even though we've been predicting it for like four weeks straight, uh, we finally end up correct this time. Uh, we are flashing mm-hmm. to one of the Straw Hat fights this week. That's exciting. Frankie shows off some pretty big feats right from the start. He catches Sasaki's horn with one hand and then proceeds to flip him. Like, that's this battle bot of his is it's doing pretty good. Indeed. General Frankie is no joke. Now we see a little bit higher on the same page before he grabs the horn that he tries a gunshot attack general left arm first but that doesn't seem to phase him very much but being tossed around that's a different story that's what triceratops would be kind of the best against mm-hmm. their neck is very protected that's kind of their thing 
I didn't know you knew so much about dinosaurs, Jordan. Well, no, <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I know a lot, but think about their one state. Well, okay, I guess they have the horns as well, but their defense is that big, hard frill. I don't know if that's exactly what it would be, but I'm not sure there's a technical name for it. But I'd call it a frill. Yeah, exactly. For us non-dino people, I wish I knew more about dinosaurs. Maybe the beast pirates will make me do some research. <laughs> Maybe. I've thought about it a couple times. Uh, but yeah, I guess he is using that uh, frill to block the explosions up in that first panel over there. Yeah, he charges right at it. He's not worried. He's prepared for that situation. Good old society putting in work. Uh, but like you said, he gets tossed into the wall, but uh, he just gets back up and he's rushing at him again. Tanky man. Yeah, and Frankie was ready to do something it looks like he's got his shoulder popping open i think that's like some sort of rocket launcher move right then pretty quickly he's got what four five six people pulling him down yeah that's no good he wants to shoot rockets but alas <laughs> these gifters that are holding him down are no scrubs reasonably strong lads yeah but frankie's got his own reasonably strong lads right behind him <laughs> Tricky lads. Start running at him. Frankie, help us. We're being chased by all these people. Then it turns out, surprise, they are allies. Go help Frankie, our minions. Look at how many there are already behind them. So many. They've, <laughs> Jesus. they've been putting in the work already. On this page, I tried to look closely and try and find like, the weirdest looking out of these uh, gifters that we see. And I think the ones that take the cake... Probably in the, uh, the panel over here where you see the wolfman in the front where it's revealed that uh, that army is actually on their side. Okay, yeah. The man whose lower body appears to be an entire panda. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then to the left of that guy, the man whose head is covered by a full Well, I'd like to call it full size, but it's much larger than your average chicken. And then not... Very clear on what's going on with the man beneath him. The one who's like legs. He's like basically a centaur. His legs are a sheep, but also his mm -hmm. head. Yeah, he's he's a little bit more advanced. I think the crocodile guy deserves a special call out because he's got a croc head and then right below that, human head, human arms. <laughs> Indeed. Coming out of the lower jaw of the croc. That's fun. All very fun, boys. I'm sure Oda has a great time like designing these people every week. Oh, yeah, he gets to go wild. He always seems to one-up himself with a new monstrosity on every chapter. It's beautiful. These guys indeed help Frankie get free from the uh, other gifters that are holding them down, and he manages to dodge Sasaki's latest charge. Just enough of a distraction to really get him the edge there. Indeed. Jordan. Do you have a guess for uh, roughly how big General Frankie is? I don't know, like 12 or 13 feet? My goodness, how incorrect you are. He is roughly 42 feet tall. 13 meters. 42. Indeed. Quite big for a robot. But then you take a look at this page where he's dodging Sasaki. And it's kind of hard to tell as we don't know like 
exactly how far away he's dodging from. It looks pretty last second, so I would think that they are pretty close to one another. I would guess that Sasaki has got to be at least two times as tall as the Frankie bot, putting him approximately 80 to 100 feet tall. Yeah, Frankie looks like he's about the size of the frill. Like, that's only the head on size as well. That's not even counting sort of the profile. Indeed. We know that Triceratops are, like, longer than they are tall, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Sasaki in dinosaur form is a very large creature by the looks of it. Intimidating. I would run if I saw him coming, and he's so big, I would have a reasonable head start. <laughs> if you turn, you'd probably be okay. I don't think he's going to be able to change <laughs> acceleration that quick. Here's hoping. Then on the following page here, we find that Alti has caught up to Nami and the gang and is about to deliver a pretty nasty additional headbutt. But uh, Nami manages to catch her with a Thunder Lance Tempo, the same move that uh, she used to take out Khalifa back in the Ennis lobby arc. Yeah, Alti was predictable and paid the price. Nami had seen what she's done before, knew to expect a jump, and set up an attack nicely for it. Indeed. Unfortunately for Nami, and she even acknowledges it here, that, that lightning blast isn't going to be enough to permanently take out Alti, and then comments that she's going to need stronger lightning. That's foreshadowing. You think so? <laughs> it's gotta be. Well, it, it makes sense that Nami would want that. She knows she's had a taste of it, and it was a huge power-up for her. But why would Oda bring it up if not to be like, Hey, you guys, hey, <laughs> watch out for this. Now, it could also just mean that Thunderland's tempo is perhaps not her strongest move. Maybe she does have an attack that can already produce stronger lightning that she just didn't have an opportunity to use because it requires setup time or something. Could be. She's also been pretty badly beat up by this point. She has a bandage on her forehead, but I don't think that quite covers what's happened. Indeed. Presumably that bandage is there because she already took one of Alti's hockey-infused headbutts. So, uh, while she looks more or less fine, she's got to be more beat up than uh, she's letting on here. Same with Usopp, though, right? Wasn't he on the receiving end of a few attacks as well? Uh, indeed. I think this is true, but I'm pretty sure this was one of those instances we saw, like, a x-ray of Usopp's skull being cracked right. by uh, one of the headbutts. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if bandages are going to be <laughs> quite enough to patch that up. No, but he's still pulling out the moves. I can't imagine it would be easy to slingshot some squishy millet dumplings into people's mouths. Uh, accounting Indeed. for the aerodynamics of something that seems so doughy has got to be difficult. No doubt. And it even looks like here he launches three of them at once into three separate people's mouths. That's very impressive. Usopp's no joke. That's why he's here. He does that, and then uh, they keep on rushing along, doing what they do. I assume they are now leaving the confrontation between Frankie and Sasaki to go help somebody else in a similar dire circumstance. You see on the next page that Frankie kind of figured out what he needs to do here. He saw that the frill protected from strong left. So Frankie decides to create an opening for himself by 
kicking the Triceratops in the jaw to expose a softer underbelly and uh, really lays into it after that. Turns out Frankie was the dinosaur expert all along. Right, I should ask him about it. should. Send him an email. He'll respond. Then on the following page here, we're catching up with your boy and mind, Sanji, having been caught by Black Maria after their scuffle, I guess you could call it. Yeah, definitely. I like scuffle. That works. He seems to have taken out all the men that were uh, in Black Maria's care here, but all the women, as expected, are totally fine, and they even seem to know that he's unable to hurt any women. So either they gathered that through reputation, or perhaps they just figured it out because he wasn't attacking them. Yeah, the evidence is laid right before them, but they probably also had pretty good intel. Black Maria here seems to have been tasked by Kaido to capture and torture information out of Robin. So their plan for Sanji here is for him to call for help through this lady's face. <laughs> Not very clear how that's a thing, unless there's a devil fruit power involved. But apparently by speaking at this girl with the eye thing on her, uh, on the paper on her face, um, it'll be heard throughout the castle. And then supposedly going to let him go if he calls for help from Robin. That's got to be a devil fruit, right? I mean, right after this, we see that the... Uh, the, the human siren kind of goes off <laughs> saying that she's found the Akazaya 9. Um, so, like, it seems as if whoever has these masks is sort of acting like a security camera type thing, almost. It does seem that way. And it's either some sort of weird tech. I mean, you can see, like, the first one that we see uh, in Sanji's room. She's like playing with her ear or something, and it's going beep. So maybe it's technology involved, but I'm inclined to think it's probably devil fruit related. Right. Speaking of that panel specifically, right there, that person actually doesn't seem to say anything. It's just a an ellipse in a bubble going towards them, right? Mm -hmm. And right after... Sanji has sort of a thought bubble with a question mark. Oh. They've already been talking about Robin. Doesn't that person with the mask kind of look like Robin? Uh, kind of. I mean, the hair is certainly very similar. And can't Robin make full clones of herself now? She sure can. Do you think that could be something? I think it certainly could be. Hmm. You know, there was another girl who kind of looked like Robin in the room that the CP0 agents were uh, hanging out in, if I recall correctly. Oh, really? Indeed. There was like a half-page spread, I believe, of them sitting there chatting. And on the right, you could see a girl in the background that looked a lot like Robin. So maybe Robin's already got, like, clones spread. <laughs> and this could be one of them. That's what I'm starting to think, because... Like, it's immediately after Black Maria says to call for Nico Robin, and then it just, it centers on her. I just feel like the evidence, it stacks up. I'll be so interested to see if this leads immediately into Robin's fight. I'm not 
totally convinced her being the focus of that panel is evidence towards it. I mean, Black Maria does say there, speak to this girl here and your voice will carry. So I feel like they kind of had to show what they were talking about. Otherwise, we, the audience, would be pretty confused about what Miller she's talking about. But I think all the other things you said, for sure, could be a, could be hints. That's fair. That's true. Fair, fair. Um, but it seems like Black Maria was given this task because, you know, Robin's the only one that can read the Poneglyphs, and now they're getting serious about finding the One Piece and all that. So she goes into a pretty morbid detail about what their plans are for her. They're going to mutilate her limbs to incapacitate her. Joke's on them. She has infinite. Uh, and only when they're done, however many years that takes, they're going to kill her. Either they plan to get her to teach them how to read the Poneglyphs, or just gather a whole bunch of them up and hope that she's telling the truth. But it definitely... Seems like it's going to be positive related. Yeah, it's what makes Robin stand out, for sure. Now, this clearly is setting up a confrontation between Robin and Black Maria, right? That seems to be what all the, the signs are pointing to, whether or not that masked girl is her or not. No doubt. Agreed. So I had, like, a little... This is kind of, like, my hope of how this goes down. Like, how we actually get Robin from point A... To hear, assuming that that girl back there is just some chick with a mask, right? Or just a clone, maybe. But anyway, continue. Sorry. The obvious thing you would think is that Sanji isn't going to call her, right? Sanji's going to try and protect Robin by not calling her and just deal with the situation himself, right? But I think it might show a little bit of growth on Sanji's part if he does speak to her through the uh, the masked lady, somehow indicates to her that he's in trouble, but in code or something, indicates it's a trap, not just like deliberately draw her into what is clearly a trap. Because Sanji trusts, in my scenario that I'm dreaming up here, <laughs> that Robin will be able to handle herself, right? And then if they keep their word, he'll go free to make himself more useful somewhere else. Now, Sandy doesn't have any reason to believe that these people actually will set him free. I'm inclined to think that they probably won't, even if Robin shows up. But I think that situation might show a little bit of a growth on Sanji's part. Yeah, it would show a deepening of the bond between him and his crewmates. He sees that this is a definite shortcoming he has, and he knows he knows Robin can handle it. Even though we've only seen Robin do like two actual fights. <laughs> Yeah, but he straight up says, underestimate her at your own peril. Indeed. I agree with you. I was just kidding. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> After that, another person with the mask points out that they found the samurai. They seem to be close to Black Maria, which is convenient for King, who's busy with what? We don't really know, do we? Last we saw King... He had just been bypassed by Marco. Uh, well, only kind of. I think that was the panel when Marco was like tossing Zoro to the roof. Mm -hmm. So presumably he's dealing with Marco right now, along with Queen. But we're not shown that again. I just, I find that interesting. We don't see Queen again. We don't see Marco. He doesn't mention anything. He just says he's busy. Well, what else would he be busy with if not with... Marco. I mean, everyone else is, aside from like, Brooke and Robin and a couple other people, 
more or less accounted for, right? That's true. That's that's a very good point. Anyone buff enough to be able to go toe to toe with King is accounted for at the moment, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. But could be something else. I'm not sure what Marco would have been popping off to do. Maybe he went back out front to help Carrot and uh, Wanda deal with Parasparrow. Yeah, there seems to be sort of a grudge there. Yeah, it's like kind of the long time kind of number one of Big Mom's crew. You would think he would have had a number of interactions with Marco in the past. I'd love to see more interactions there. They're a good matchup. Got to be some sort of history. Uh, but like you said, Kane's too busy to deal with the samurai himself, so Black Maria has volunteered to go do it. So even if Robin does come to try and help out Sanji, Black Maria probably won't even be there. Good point. She'll be nearby, so maybe Robin shows up and takes care of the sort of weaker ones around and then Black Maria comes back, or who knows? I think it's strange that they would set up, like, Black Maria's plan is for Robin to come to her because Sanji's going to call her. And then immediately be like, just kidding, I'm going somewhere else now. (laughs) Well, she would have a pretty easy time of taking out nine critically wounded people and one mystery person. Yeah, I guess maybe the plan is she'll go real quick, deal with that mess, come back, and then Sanji will call Robin for her. Maybe that's the intent as far as she's concerned. Yeah, we'll see maybe next week even. Well, sorry, not next week, next chapter. Indeed. Uh, Sanji here is concerned about Kinemon at least and is begging her not to go kill him. But I uh, don't think she's going to heed his pleas. No, I'd, I'd be pretty surprised. <laughs> then on the following and last page here, uh, we see the treasure room. There are apparently ten people in there, which is one more people than the Red Scabbards. Someone's in there trying to help save the samurai. Do you have any guesses on who that might be? <sighs> I've been thinking about this pretty much all day. My first instinct was to say Hiori, yep. right? Who else would be there that would want to help out these nine people in particular, right? But Hiori's situation isn't the same as Tama's, right? Where Tama was told, no, you're too weak or whatever. Stay here with whoever's there to babysit you. Hiori actively said, it's not good to get emotional before a battle. I'll see them after the fat. That was her own decision to not be involved with the fighting herself. Mm -hmm. So I think it would be strange if that was her call and then she just changed her mind once the fighting began and just decided to go anyway. How would she even have gotten here? Yeah, yeah, that would have been a challenge. So it might be Hiori, but then you consider, okay, if not Hiori, who else, right? Then you look at the picture... (laughs) of the like silhouette down at the bottom there in the final panel. And my first thought was that the little like hanging thing like was an earlobe, right? That's what it looks like oh. to me. Would you agree? Uh, I thought first maybe like a bandana, like sash type thing, or maybe hair. 
I thought maybe hair too, and that's what led me to Hiori. But now looking at it, I really feel like it's an earlobe. <laughs> earlobe does look like it. It could line up. That's for sure. Do we know anyone with super droopy earlobes? We know two, one of whom has been actively involved in this arc. Uh, his name is Fukuro Kuju. He's the head of the Ninja Force, the Oniwanbanshu. Okay, yeah. Oh, oh, the the man with the tall head. Yeah, that guy. But that guy also has a beard. Yep. So this guy, I mean, it's kind of hard to tell because like that thing coming out of his chin. Maybe that's a weird looking beard. I don't think so, but he does look like he doesn't have a beard. But then the fun, hot theory of the day has been that this is Enru. This is the man himself coming down from the moon, for some reason getting involved with uh, a fracas on okay, Wano. Okay, I would love to see that. I'm into more content of that guy. That seems ridiculous, though. Agreed, especially when you look at the panel directly above this. And that's to Kinemon there. You can see this person, presumably. And Enru has like that big taiko drum thing coming out of his back. So unless he's had that removed by the people of the moon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unless he had some work done, for sure. But that's, uh, I don't know if I would call that the popular theory. It might just be a meme, but uh, I have seen people try to claim that it is unreal that's pretty good i have my doubts about that but i don't know i guess my official guess is hiori yeah hiori makes sense for sure i don't really know who else it could be but like if it is hiori how did she know to go to the treasure room shortly after the conflict began why is she specifically here right mm -hmm. so i don't know yeah i don't know I got nothing. Agreed. That pretty much wraps up the chapter itself. There is going to be a break next week. First one in a little while. The next chapter hits February 28th. Yeah, we'll get there when we get there. Anything else you wanted to say, manga chapter related, speculation or anything before we move on to the news? I think I hit all my points in our discussion already. Sweet. That brings us into the news segments. Two fairly brief pieces of news this week, especially compared to last week. The first bit is that the first set of Wano Vivra cards are set to be released in Japan on April 30th. So we'll be getting some, uh, probably, some juicy new bits of character info around there. Usually they're out a couple days before people get them early and translate them. Um, but we will cover that when they come. Do you know what the Vivra cards are, Jordan? Roughly. I've never looked for them, but if I came across them, I would read them, yeah. They're just like little cards, like fun collectible things they put out in Japan that have like information about the character that's on the card. We've gotten some fun details about characters from them. Like I believe the fact that Ace had Conqueror's Hagi was detailed on the card. I believe people were going crazy for a little bit because it didn't mention anything about Crocodile having any hockey, you know. Just a lot of fresh things to speculate about based on what's going to be on those cards. But again, April 30th, Japan. We'll cover them when they come. And the other bit is I just wanted to get a quick reminder, since we're getting pretty close to the deadline, that the popularity poll, the worldwide one, is ending in two weeks on midnight February 28th, Japan time. So get those votes in while you can. 
The URL, for those who have forgotten, is uh, onepiecewt100.com slash en for the English site. And of course, there will be a link to that in the description as well. I think when I checked earlier today that uh, in North America, Yamato, Hancock, and Nami were uh, the new hot characters for today. So that's pretty fun. Wow. Wildly different. Indeed. My, how those things change. Uh, but that's all I got for the news. Anything you want to comment on before we move on to the reread segment? No, that's pretty cut and dry stuff. All right, take it away. So, like you said earlier, we're doing chapters 69 to 81. And there was a few things that I noticed in here. One was that when Arlong's sort of backstory, I guess, was being gone through, they compared him to Jinbei as being equal at some point. I don't know what point they were talking about, but for Jinbei to have already been peppered into the story and for the power levels to be set at that point, like, going back, that, I mean, that lends Arlong a lot of, not necessarily credibility, but... It certainly does build him up as a threat in the moment, yeah. It kind of makes him look like a chump when you consider that Jinbei is like really fucking strong. And he Arlong here comparatively got bopped by beginning of series Luffy. So that's, you know, pretty embarrassing for him. Right. And also maybe for past Jinbei from the Fishman Island flashback, if you consider, okay, supposedly these two people were roughly equal in power at some point. So I would guess that at this point Jinbei is roughly equal in power to early series Luffy, which doesn't make him look very impressive. Right, that's what I was sort of wondering about. So, okay, so he and Arlong were crewmates for a while. Indeed. See, that almost doesn't seem to add up. When did Fisher Tiger die? Certainly prior to the events of the series. It was when uh, Hancock was still a child, because it was during the raid on Mary Joie that uh, they were liberated it was in that raid by Fisher Tiger, and that's when he died. So, like, 10, 15, maybe 20 years ago? Okay. I remember how old Hancock is. Okay, so probably what happened is that Arlong obviously branched off and started doing his own thing, and then got very comfortable and kind of stagnated. He stayed at the same level for a, a long time, it would seem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, the the whole power comparison thing, I guess, just is very old, outdated information. I mean, he's been resting on his laurels, just occasionally flipping a few houses for, I think, eight years is when they said Arlon showed up in this particular island. So, clearly no competition for him here. He's got his goons to take care of uh, the occasional Navy ship that tries to cause problems with his empire. So, I think uh, the stagnating... And weakening theory is a pretty good one. On sort of the uh, topic of power, I wanted to point out that here, after Zoro has been destroyed by Mihawk, and, you know, he hasn't had any medical attention or anything since then, after all of that, he rolls up and he takes out at least 10 fishmen with one sword. Uh, that's true. Yeah, he's like, very strong, even while injured. 
even if they're just kind of the lowest of the low of Arlong's crew, they're still fishmen, which have canonically been described as having the strength of 10 regular men. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we know that Zoro is at a disadvantage if he doesn't have all three swords. So that kind of... It, it almost made this feel a little bit more... Like a little bit more trivial than I know it turns out to be. It sets it up like it's going to be no issue, just blow right through it, which is interesting because it, well, we didn't get it here, but we know that that's not exactly how it goes. I suppose that's true. I mean, in the world of One Piece, the average mook is just like roughly the same amount of strength as like real life people, I would guess. So the fact that Zoro can take out people 10 times that, in theory, again, uh, is pretty impressive, especially when you consider that this is like maybe a couple days to be generous after he got slashed real hardcore by Mihawk. Mm-hmm. But we know just how different the strength can be between a random mook and someone powerful like Luffy, right? And that's just humans. So I would imagine that the same is true for fishmen. So like, I don't think it puts Arlong and them as like less impressive just because moots of the same race got bopped. You know what I mean? Sure, you're saying it's like exponential almost. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, I hear you. But the power range within humans is very vast. So I think we should assume the same is true for well yeah we get a taste of that here you know we see the i guess manta ray and the kisser and hachi do some serious damage to the navy with no effort at all so like oh yes very scary in the water those fishermen yeah we see that of course oh that's also a good point they weren't in the water when zoro took them out and he did surprise them so i guess that that evens the playing field a bit more than i originally noticed and other than that, the only sort of like standout thing for me was that even though Nami saved that little child's life when she first was walking up to the compound, she still assaulted a child she did not know. Hardcore assaulted a child. <laughs> I suppose that's true, but you got to think about it from Nami's perspective. She's been living a lie, basically, for eight years or whatever I said before, however long Arlon's been in town. She's not going to like show mercy on a child when, for all she knew, Arlon or whoever could have been watching when she's so close. This close. You can't see, but I'm doing very tiny space between my fingers right now. That's how close it is to being able to buy back her village. Oh, so I, like, I know. I just, like I said, even if she did save this child's life because... Like, she knows everything that's going on, even if she did. Like, I don't know if you've ever watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but it's like, you know, cool motive, still murder. Uh, (laughs) Cool motive, still child assault. It is a throwback to her own past as well, because Belmare would take that path with her. So, like, it all makes sense, but I was just like, dang, that's... I didn't think about that. That's brutal. I know she's got this huge weight on her thinking she has goal within reach but uh i just felt bad for the kid that's all i feel more bad for him that his parents were recently murdered but you're right 
the Nami thing is also pretty bad. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's it's all bad. I uh, this this kid, he's nobody, but it's messed up. <laughs> like any, uh, it it sort of normalizes the the straw hats to a certain degree because it shows that not everyone with these tragic backstories becomes someone you know it's sadly very commonplace in this universe and only the i guess the cream of the crop end up rising you know pretty much it's not easy being a random nobody in the world of one piece no no not at all so what did what did you think while you were reading through these 10 or so chapters i had a couple things i wanted to talk about i think i touched on this a little bit Maybe not last week, but the week before. Sometime when we were discussing the Barati arc. I brought up that in the future, Zeph was going to tell Luffy that some people call the Grand Line Paradise. Mm-hmm. Which indicates that, perhaps, we don't know for sure. But that makes it seem to me like he was indeed a New World Pirate. Since that is what those people call the first half of the Grand Line. Right, he either was one or was in close contact with one often. Indeed. That little interaction actually happens at the beginning of this set of chapters. So I just wanted to readdress it in brief. That way uh, people don't think I'm a crazy man. It really happened, I promise. <laughs> Shortly after that, though, we get uh, the first mention of not only the seven warlords, which Yosaku goes into a little bit of detail on, but also the three great powers that balance the ground line. The only one he discusses in detail is, again, seven warlords. But... uh. This is the first time mention of three balancing powers has been mentioned in the series. Do you remember what the other two are? Uh, it's the world government and the either the Tenryubitu or pirates. I don't remember. The last one is the Yonko. Yonko, yeah. So the three of them in the new world trying to form like a tightrope balancing act, trying to keep in the others in check. But only kind of, because like two of those factions are like ally with another not really sure how it seems to make sense but they claim that it does and then uh this was something i thought about while you were talking about jimbei earlier even though jimbei is i think the last of the original seven warlords to be actually shown in the series he is the second one to be mentioned so that's a fun little nugget that's a strange path for him for sure indeed then i wanted to talk about the little scene before Zoro slaughters all the fishmen there. The bit of an interaction he had with Nami before he actually got taken to that prison cell. Where he jumps into the water? That's the one. I was reading back through that, and I was not surprised exactly, but I took note of that's kind of like one of the early indicators of how perceptive Zoro can be. It's Nami standing there, telling him to his face, Surprise, I've been a bad lady all along, right? Mm-hmm. But then early on in that conversation, Arlon says something about uh, Bellamere, her adopted mother, right? And for a moment, for one panel, her face changes, right? Yes. Zoro catches that and uh, starts to suspect that she was lying about all this, starts calling her bluff. Even to the point where had he been wrong about that, had Nami indeed been the bad person she was claiming to be, he would have just drowned and died. So that's how sure he was about this uh, this observation he made. Right. To us, it seemed like a risk, but for him, it was a sure thing. 
I guess so. Uh, meanwhile, all throughout this chunk of chapters, Nami does care about Luffy and company, but she has to pretend otherwise to protect both of them from... Well, she perceives that she has to protect them. Turns out, not so much. But to protect them and Kokuyashi Village from being, you know, wiped out by the Arlong Pirates. So Nami's got a lot of shit going on in that brain of hers throughout this entire arc. It's rough being she. She is doing the same thing that she has always done. With these people, she meets out of nowhere now, but is obviously drawn to. And she's doing it, yeah, out of, like, almost compassion. She cares for them and doesn't think that they can handle what she has been dealing with for eight years. Indeed. And I think that even if she does maybe a little bit suspect that Luffy and the others can maybe take out Arlon... She certainly doesn't know for sure. So she doesn't want to mess up this almost done eight-year-long operation she has to buy her way out of the situation she's been in. I don't think that's a risk she was willing to take at that time. No, right up until she... Has to, pretty much. Well, yeah, yeah. There's no other choice. Quite. I don't know why I placed this in this placement on my uh, note sheet here. But I did note that Oda dedicated an entire page to a dad with Usopp shooting a rotten egg at those fishmen when they were chasing him out of <laughs> Kodayashi Village. It was a nice little, just a snippet of humor to break up all the, the heavy flashbacks and the, well, the destroyed towns. And yeah, it was, it was nice to see. Indeed. Yeah, a little bit of comic relief in there every now and then. I also wanted to note that the Bucky cover arc ends in this chunk of chapters. It's the first cover arc we get, and it ends here. Reading Weekly, I think you noted this like when the first started, Jordan, but you wouldn't realize that that woman that's been palling around with them is Alvita. Right. But uh, I think it's interesting just how far that group goes from this cover arc where they, like, they've been messed up by Luffy, his body parts have been scattered everywhere, and... Nowadays, that man has gone so far that he is a, well, not anymore, of course, but up until recently was a warlord, one of the scariest dudes on the sea. Yeah, it's why Buggy's one of my favorites. He stays just on the edge of the spotlight. You know, every now and then we're reminded that he exists and frankly that he's doing a pretty good job. He's doing it in a very unconventional way, but... He's sticking around. He's doing fine, putting himself in correct positions. He's very lucky, for sure. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> no doubt about that. But he is persisting, and thats I think that's what I like about him. Well, I like a lot of things about him, but that's one of them for sure. You know, Oda said in one of the SBS in this uh, chunk of chapters that if you like Buggy or Django, it means that you're seriously ill. I did see that. I was hoping you wouldn't bring it up, because I certainly wasn't planning to, but, you know, thanks for outing Uh-oh. me. You've been called out. Turns out Jordan is a sick, sick man. You heard it here first. Uh, we already covered that Fishmen are scary in a sea battle. I did also want to talk about the Nami flashback a little bit, okay. and how fucking sad it is. Yeah. A real bummer. Yeah. It's, it's good to see that Nami... I was going to say has a good role model, which feels wrong, but I think I'll actually stick with it. Because as much as she 
took Belmare's negative traits. She also took a lot of her positives. And for the very short period that we get of Belmare, she shines so much. Mm -hmm. She is a badass woman that just, like, she knows what she wants. She's definitely prepared to do whatever it takes to make it happen and isn't afraid of pretty much anything. So Sure does seem that way. I've seen complaints in the past, people calling Bella Mare a literal idiot for admitting that she had kids, but considering all the buildup that had taken place up to that point about how she closely she feels about these children, even though they're not blood-related, I think it ends up like a pretty touching end for her. I mean, yeah, she could have just said no, continued to live, and then her kids would have been off wherever, but uh, that wouldn't have been good enough for her. She would rather die than admit that she didn't have kids. It's all about what she said in the end. You know, she can't even deny it. And after what had presumably very recently happened, where, you know, Nami had almost a small existential crisis type thing, anxiety attack maybe, I don't know. I think that was literally that same day. Right. So, like, with that having just happened, all of these emotions are still running super high, and she's an ex-Marine, she's got these standards, she doesn't like to be pushed around, all of these things add up, and, like, imagine how weak of a point that would have been if she would have just rolled over right there. Uh, agreed. Yeah. Would have been nothing. It, it would have defeated the whole purpose mm-hmm. of everything. Like you said, the buildup is undeniable. Would have really contradicted everything we had seen about Bellamare up until that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, moving on from the Bellamare stuff, little baby Nami really had it rough. <laughs> like, starting from that day when her mother was killed, right, right in front of her. That girl had to lie and be hated by everyone she knew and loved in order to stop them from being literally murdered by this terrible, terrible fish man. At eight years old, she had to behave like this. She was abused right from the get-go. You know, they saw that she had a pretty special talent, and they saw that they could easily take advantage of that, and they took it to the extremes. It is the worst. Indeed. Speaking of Arlon the scumbag, let's talk about that guy for a hot second. Terrible man Arlong, right? You know him. We hate him. Mm-hmm. He made a promise to Nami on that day eight years ago, saying, hey, you work with me without a fuss. You earn up 100 million berries. I don't care how long it takes. Just bring 100 million berries to me, and I will let you have Kokuyashi Village, right? I'll leave or whatever, and I will leave that particular village alone. Nami spends the next eight years gathering up that cash she now has 93 million berries she thinks that one more voyage is going to be enough to get the extra 7 million berries to buy back her home and then she won't have to worry about Arlon or anything again something that she's had to be concerned about for like half of her life at this point all of her like young adult life for sure then she accidentally lets slip when she shortly arrives back from being out with the straw hats and she almost has enough she mentioned it in brief. Arlon hears it, and he takes note. Because he sends his navy goon, Nezumi, I think his name was, to take that money. Technically speaking, Arlon never broke the deal. You and I know he basically did. 
Mm-hmm. Naomi is also of that opinion. But uh, Arlon's opinion is, technically I didn't, but even if I did, what are you going to do about it, right? Yeah. I could kill you right now, and you wouldn't be able to do anything to stop me, right? Mm-hmm. Eight years of enduring between both Nami herself and the people of Kodiachi Village, falling apart instantaneously, and the people she's been trying to protect are marching to their deaths to free her, right? So after that, it's been revealed that Genzo and the others knew pretty much all along that Nami's been working for them. They also know now that Arlon basically broke his deal, so they would rather fight and die than continue to be like put under his heel any longer. Pretty messed up, that Arlon guy. Makes it very easy to hate him. Yeah, I was kind of amazed that the town had survived as long as it did when I really thought about it. Because the amounts that he's asking for are ridiculous. Like, he had to go into it expecting to completely ruin these people. He's never cared about them. Yeah, no doubt. He doesn't... Every human is like an ant. Right. This... this was, Like, all of it was part of his plan from the start. He would have found a way to make sure that Nami stayed with him. He just happened to have the convenient connection of uh, Izumi in the government to do a, a convenient bad lie to get her money like yeah he's awful and continues to just be full of abuse indeed fuck that guy but those circumstances do lead us into one of the coolest moments in one piece so far the moment where uh luffy puts a straw hat on nami's head and finally says that he is going to help her luffy from the start of this arc when he first arrives on the island and even before that, when he like first hears that she's still on the boat, never stopped trusting Nami even for a second. But all this time, he wasn't interested in her bad story. He just knows that she's actually on her side. And I uh, was just waiting all this time for Nami to finally ask for his help. He, of course, says, yeah, of course, I will help you. And Zoro, Usopp, and Sanji are just waiting there, right off screen, pretty much, for the go-ahead from Luffy, because they do know. Nami's bad story now, and they, you know, of course, are motivated to help. They start heading down to Arlon Park, where Johnny and Yosaku are blocking the villagers, because they know they also overheard the story, and what just happened with uh, Nami as well. And they're blocking the villagers, because they know the straw hats are going to come. And this set of chapters finally ends with, like, certainly the climax of the chunk of chapters, perhaps the arc itself, uh, with Luffy breaking down the door to Arlon Park. Ready to fucking rumble. Possibly the coolest thing I've seen in all my life. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a heavy-hitting series of moments, for sure. We, we get the immediate callback to Luffy referring to the hat as his treasure, so mm-hmm. Nami knows how serious he is at this point, and we get that awesome establishing shot of, I think, all of the crew, because I think Nami is in that shot as well, even if she's not you know, battle ready or anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We still get like, it's, it's a nice spread that just shows they're ready. They mean business. Yeah. It's, it's good. The Johnny and Yosaku part felt really weird to me because the last time that we saw them, they literally were running away and saying, you know, I, I like my life too much to go against Arlong. And, you know, they explain it by saying they were in the woods, but the story hit them just as hard as it hit me, obviously, for them to, to be turned by it. 
don't know. It was it it felt strange to me, but I suppose so. But yeah. I mean, like those guys have been like kind of talking a big game all this time, kind of been similar to Usopp in that they're cowardly, but only to a point, right? Mm-hmm. That they might say, "Oh, I'm scared, gonna run away," but I'm pretty sure that right after that, they just hid in the woods. So they also were interested in what Nojiko had to say about Nami. And it touched them, and they were willing to put their lives on the line for it. So yeah, I guess you could view it as strange, but I do not. I think it's fairly natural. If nothing else, they are not thinking it through. Like, they should have realized that (laughs) they could team up with the crew to increase their chances, but instead they decided to go ahead and do their best, which didn't amount to much yeah it it was sad for them it was really good for the villagers because without uh johnny and yosaku being there they also probably would have walked into their demise so indeed i'm glad it happened but it they weren't thinking it was certainly foolhardy you know this is kind of like if you go on reddit or something you'd be see people be like i've been watching or reading one piece for a little bit but I'm not, like, really feeling it just yet. At what point do you think that you'd, like, give up on the series, right? And pretty much everyone is like, all right, read or watch up through Arlong Park. And if that doesn't really grip you, particularly that scene that, that we were just discussing, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to like the rest of the series. It's probably not for you. Right. I think that's that's a good way of thinking about it. Indeed. Now, I have, of course, of the opinion that all of it is good, even prior to this. But, uh... I can kind of understand how people would think that this early stuff is kind of slow up until Arlong Park. This is where One Piece starts going, again, in my opinion, from pretty good and really takes off on the Arlong Park stuff. Oh, yeah. It ramps up here, and I don't know if that ramp has even ended to this day. (laughs) And I'm sure we will discuss that ramp further when we get to future arcs. Uh, anything else you have to say before we go ahead and wrap up this episode? No, nothing on these reread chapters. Okie dokie. Again, the next chapter comes out February 28th. That means the manga will be on a break next week, which brings us into our little announcement that I guess we're making. Since we have dropped the anime discussion segment, that kind of leaves us in a weird place of not knowing what to do with the podcast on weeks that... uh. The manga is on a break like that's week. We are considering a couple different options. We think we might just take a break on those weeks, perhaps. Maybe like fill in the gap that would have been filled by the manga discussion for that week with another discussion topic, maybe that viewers send in or something. Uh, but we are currently undecided. Probably put out something on Twitter or something when we have made a decision, certainly before an episode would go up next week. But if you guys have any suggestions about what you want us to do on those break weeks. If you have any ideas or preferences about discussion topics, that kind of thing, go ahead and email us at inheritedwillpodcasts, plural, at gmail.com, or you can leave a comment down below. Yeah, right on. All right. And with that said, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. We will talk to you guys maybe next week, maybe the week after. (laughs) Yeah, talk to you all later.